have Robert with us. He'll give us our second reading and speak to us from God's word. So thank you. Thanks, Cameron. Good to be here again with you. I'm sorry about the reason. That is Keith's illness. Our second Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6 to 8. And that will be the area in which we particularly focus today. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8. Corinthian church, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Let's pray for a moment. Oh God, our Father, as we focus on this tiny section of your word, we bow before the wisdom of your spirit. And we ask that he will direct us to truth and purity. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. My wife, Laurel, and I decided we were going to do something different last Monday. So we jumped in the car and headed for the bush. We hadn't been to Warragamba Dam for decades, so we dropped off there. And then we headed for, headed for Silverdale and then the Oaks and then Oakdale. And half an hour more, 20 minutes more, we were at Natai, the end of the line. All that is there is a car park and wonderful memories and of a great old coal mine and uh, a tremendous view of the catchment of the Warragamba Dam. When we got to the car park, there was one car and in the distance we could see two people. So, of course, we were going to say day. Excepting that as they came closer to us, we recognised they weren't grey type people because they were of Middle East complexion. And so we said, good afternoon. And they said the same to us. Where are you from? Iran. I said, no, we have some uh, very close friends from Iran. I said, but they're Assyrians from Tehran. And they said, we are Assyrians too. I said, well, normally... Assyrian people would name themselves Christian. They said, no, we're Muslim people. So we talked about that for a bit. And I greeted them in Arabic. And they were rather surprised. I said, oh, that's just because we lived in Indonesia for 10 years. So we had to learn some Arabic. And um, Masume, the lady, said, oh, I lived in Indonesia too. And so we immediately went into the Indonesian language. And her language was nice and fluent and, wow, it was impressive. 
we talked to Bruce, he did not know the Indonesian language. And so when I said, where do you live? She said, Makassar. You know, that's where we get the anti-Makassans. You know, that's the way we say it here. Makassar. I said, that's fascinating. Our third child was born at the Rumasakit Stilamaris, which is the hospital, the star of the sea. And, um, and she said, I live just around the corner from Rumasakit Stilamaris. I said, that's amazing. I said, did you ever go north? She said, yes, are you to, to, to Rantapa? I said, yeah. She, she said, yeah. She said, yes. I said, we used to live there. That's where we lived for five years. That's where our children were brought up. I, and, and I said, who do you know there? She said, oh, Ibu Rosa from the Hotel Missiliana. I said, I've been to conferences in that hotel. And in fact, there was a teacher's training centre to teach, teach young people to, to teach scripture in school, just in behind Hotel Missiliana. We used to teach there. And so, and so these people from so far away, Masumi and Bruce, because of all the common experience, language, friends, smells, food, pitfalls, challenges, aches and pains of life, we sort of bonded. So what's your name, Robert and Laurel? What's your name, Masumi and Bruce? I said, Masumi, what does your name mean? And Bruce responded by saying, purity, purity in all things. I said, that's fascinating because I see in your name the word salih which is the word for purity in the Indonesian language, and, of course, in your language. It was fascinating, the once-in-a-million possibilities. So we text and all that kind of stuff, because we had just been to see a film entitled Freedom Street, which is on refugees in Makassar, Indonesia. She was one. But what a bond. What a bond and what a fascinating once in a million one. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Just keep it in mind. I'm going to change the subject now. The common experience, language, friends, smells, food, pitfall, challenges, agonies, joys, bonded us together. Next Sunday, I will be down at the Maryland's East Church, which is an Arabic church, English sector. Uh, preaching and for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so I've been doing a whole lot of thinking about it because here's one for you to think about. I think so often we make the Lord's Supper a tack on so that the difference between a regular service and the celebration of the Lord's Supper is five and a half minutes. And I agonise over that a bit. And then sometimes we get over-liturgical and sort of rigid and it tends to dumb down the meaning and, and we, lose, we lose the meaning, I think, so easily of this, of this remarkable feast where Jesus said, my body, my blood, never forget this. Remember it till I come because I'm not going to dine with you again in this respect until the kingdom. So remember. And then, of course, COVID comes. And I don't think it happened in this congregation, but in some congregations, that's the feast. You peel that little bit off, and there's a tiny, tiny wafer of bread, 
and underneath it, there's some juice. <laughs> and I think to myself, that Passover with the Lord Jesus was something like a four-hour meal, and they had everything there, a wonderful spread and meaning in everything. You know, sometimes I think the elders should say, let's do it properly. Let's bring, bring and share and go in there and sort of spread ourselves around the table and spend two hours together and make it the Lord's Supper. Try to reclaim the kind of things that we've tended to lose. Oh, I tell you what, give me a decent meal. That's what it was. And just work through the presence of our dear Saviour who said, next time, the kingdom. For that, we wait. Is it a tack on? Oh, please, let's not do it. That brought me to our text today. We've read it. It says, get rid of the old yeast. And in place of the old yeast, have new yeast because Christ has been sacrificed. Get rid of the malice and wickedness. Take on the sincerity and truth. Now, I want you to note this. This letter wasn't written just for Communion Sunday. I mean, just think about it. Paul is in Ephesus. The recipients of the letter are in Corinth, 400 kilometres away. The letter had to be written, 16 chapters. That took time. Then down to the port of Corinth to find a ship that was going across to, to the port of Ephesus that, for a ship that's going across to Corinth. And, um, hey, when, when's the next ship to Corinth? Oh, it left at 11 o'clock this morning. Won't be for another week. That kind of stuff. And then would it take three or four or five days, depending on the wind, to get across to Corinth? And then waiting out in the outer, outer harbour until you could get into port and then taking the scroll and sort of finding the church leaders who are probably having a break off down at Natai somewhere. And, and, so, and, so, and then the next Sunday, it's read when they assemble. And... and wasn't necessarily a communion service. It was to do with the principle of living. In no sense is the kind of thing that Paul is saying here just for the communion services, that festival. But it, it's to do with the whole of life. You see, the, these people saw it that way and for that they would live, and for that they would die. I'm sure you know the story of the disciple of John, whose name was Polycarp. They said, we want you to return to the worship of the Roman gods. Otherwise, you go to the stake. And you remember what Polycarp said? For 86 years I've served him. He's done me no wrong. How can I, how can I deny my king? So they burned him. A whole principle of life. Now, you come along to Corinth on Sunday. Whether it's a breaking of bread Sunday or a non-breaking of bread Sunday. Did they do it every Sunday? Did they do it once every three? We don't know. Jesus said, as often as you do it, you remember me. And so somebody says, might have been Malcolm, a letter from Paul today. And so they read it. 
And as they read it, they see the word yeast and they sort of understand that because it's all through the Old Testament and, um, and Messiah and unleavened bread and leavened bread and Passover, sacrifice, festival. And so they're drinking it all in. They're all nodding because it's in-group language when you're committed to the Lord Jesus. The same as we have not only that language with all the meaning and all the content and all the challenge, but we've got our in-talk as well. And that also bonds us together. Like we talk about doxology. Uh, we talk about, what else do we talk about here? We talk about, you don't have a vestry, do you? But you do have pew Bibles, but there's no pews. It's in-group language, isn't it? It's in-group talk. And that's just sort of the, the little bit that is peculiar to us. But you've got those wonderful, wonderful big words that really mean something, as we saw through the children's talk. The word faith. Interesting, uh, Kristen, you gave us the talk this morning. Your name is Kristen. But we've also sung Kristen, haven't we, today, when trials come. That's Kristen Getty. The difference, Kristen, between you and faith and Kristen Getty and faith is she's Irish and she can get two syllables into it. Faith, faith, she says. It's beautiful to listen to. We just say faith, don't we? Well, there we have it. So within the in-group, we have these wonderful, wonderful words, justification, sanctification, and so on, and so on, and so on. But if you were a stranger and you happened upon this assembly in Corinth on this particular day and heard talking about yeast and Passover and sacrifice and bread of two different kinds, you'd say, what's going on here? What is this all about? They're strangers to it. We're not. And so we take the opportunity to explain and listen to their questions and make our morning teas excellent as they say, what did she mean by that? And so we talk about the very things that are at the heart of who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus. And we must be careful to do that. Remember Natai. Those words, those experiences, those challenges, those agonies, those joys bonded people together from two different ends of the world. That's the challenge to us when we meet and new people come because we want through common experience and common understanding to be that family that can sit around the Lord's table as a principle of life and live it out. Now, let me take you to a few of the old terms in this Bible reading, which have new meaning. Firstly, Christ, Passover lamb, sacrificed, foundational. There's all kinds of talk about those things in the Old Testament as they look forward. Then you have that final remarkable feast where Jesus says, Next time in the kingdom. Then you come to the New Testament, it's hardly there. There's talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but the old kind of terminology 
has taken a second place, notably so, because the reality has come. Christ has been sacrificed, our Passover lamb. And so in the Hebrews we read, he offered himself without blemish to God to cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living and true God. You see, that's the life they lived for, they contended for, and they died for. Friends, let's make sure peripheral ashes, let me say it again. Let us make sure that peripheral issues do not so capture our attention that we miss the main points. Or as somebody has said, let the main thing remain the main thing. And I say, certainly not a tackle. The second old term given new meaning is yeast. Now, everybody knows what yeast is for. We certainly do. They did. We love our bread and our scones, maybe even a glass of wine. Bible people knew all about that. They knew the effects of yeast because... What yeast touches is affected. And here, as in the Old Testament, it's a picture for sin. So what the heart is, where the mind goes, where the treasures are, and what the fingers touch affect everything. Consciences, focus, plans, relationships, affections, everything. It just affects everything. And the Apostle Paul calls us to get rid of that malice of that wickedness. Because Christ has been sacrificed for us. Now, last week, Keith looked at the question of David and his sin in Psalm 51. David, in fact, was trying to kill out that yeast by dulling his conscience to it, trying to push it aside and block it out. In fact, his words are, because he couldn't do it. It's always before me. You desire truth in the inward man? I don't want the truth. But he couldn't keep silent. He did keep silent. And he says, my bones wasted away and my groaning, my strength was sapped. You see, he knew the reality of the yeast of malice and wickedness and the other words that are in verse 10 of the Bible reading, which we didn't read, that is immorality, swindling, greed, and idolatry. He didn't want to unload it because it was too hurtful to, but then he did. And instead of his focus being on what he had been and what he did, his focus was now on the bread of yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Christ has been sacrificed for us. Put aside the old yeast. Thirdly, you'll notice in the sermon, or sorry, you'll notice that the title of the sermon is being likened to a loaf of bread. Now, if you turned up at the door of the church this morning and somebody said, you look terrific this morning, just like a loaf of bread. 
it's pretty likely that you decide you were going to go home and drink some very strong coffee and wonder if there's a decent church around here. But look at verse 7. That's what you are. <laughs> That's what you are, unleavened bread. In other words, you are a beneficiary of Passover. The unblemished one was given for us to take away the blemishes. And from the perspective of our God, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our sins from us. And that's God's perspective, not Blue Mountain's perspective. As far as the east is from the west. Sometimes we say, but it's hard to forget what I used to be, the effect on me of that old yeast, the effect on my family and others. Well, yes, it is, but God has. And the message here is learn to be what you are by getting rid of the old yeast. And that's what verse 7 says. Now, friends, we know it's hard to get rid of things. I mean, maybe some of you have scaled down. And in the whole business of scaling down, you had to offload 80%, nearly 90% of all those things that were dear to you. It was hard to give them away because Grandma gave us that cup and saucer, which was given to her by her Grandma. And they were dad's tools. And we made, you know, those kind of things. We're naturally sentimental. But we're also naturally less than God made us to be. And it's not easy to put it off, to get rid of it. Because somehow we turn our heads and it's there again. We look at the computer and again it's there. It's hard to get rid of them. But I love watching the Apostle Paul before the Governor Felix when he was on trial. He said, I strive to keep a good conscience before God and man. You see, it is a fight because the old yeast is just around the corner. But says the Apostle Paul, I want you to be that loaf unleavened by the old leaven which you really are. It's the learning of the art of living what we are. And that is grace. Now, I want to bring this to a conclusion. Our first Bible reading was from Acts chapter 12. And that was about old Peter way down the line from his denial, way beyond the resurrection, way beyond Pentecost. And now Herod is raging around the place. He's already killed one of Peter's good friends, James. Peter himself is in prison. They appointed 16 guards to look after him. And then Peter's out. Herod's reaction is, let's slaughter the guards which he did. 
And so Peter then turns up at the church's prayer meeting, knocks at the door, <laughs> and they leave him outside. They're so excited about it. And what does Peter do? He tells the story because, in a sense, he can hardly help himself because his commitment is, I obey God rather than men. So what did Peter have to rid himself of in order to get to that place? Let me just try to pull out a few. That grandstanding one time when he turned to the Lord Jesus and effectively said, now look here, Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross at any cost. It's sort of you'll go to the cross over our dead bodies, that kind of grandstanding that we see in Peter. That seems to have all gone now. And that arrogance, you know, all these, these fellows over here, they'll probably do a runner, but not me. And then that pride of position. You know, James and John are saying, we want the best seats. And so they all start fighting about it. You know, pride of position. Seems that he's got rid of that. And then that fear that made him lie, that fear that, that must have made him say a thousand times, what a wimp I was. Why didn't I stand up and be counted? It's all gone. That petulance, I'm going fishing, you know, the sulk bit. But when we come to the letters that Keith has been walking us through, the letter, the first Peter, we think to ourselves, you know, as we read this, that's not the Peter of malice and pride anymore and all those other names for him. It's just not there anymore. This is the Peter of sincerity and truth. He's increasingly looking like that loaf of bread without the old yeast. And that's a principle of life which we celebrate when we think of Christ, our Passover lamb, sacrificed. Therefore, keep the feast. Never forget this. And so as a principle of life and on the day of communion, we say, once an enemy, now seated at your table. Thank you, Jesus. On a Sunday every month or three? No, no, no. Every morning at breakfast. Let's pray. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend, the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Thank you, Jesus. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Thank you, Jesus. For God, grant us the grace to live it, live it out in the power of your spirit, ridding ourselves of that old yeast. Amen.